It's been our tradition at the way to uh, observe Advent every year uh, since we began. Um, so we're going to kind of step out of our series that we did a couple of weeks ago uh, and begin focusing on Christmas and the coming of our Christ and really the anticipation of his return. Advent isn't just about Christmas and, the, and this celebration of his birth, but it's also an expectation of his return. It's about him coming back to us. And so the whole theme, the whole, the whole series will be built around that idea. And I think that's important really because we live in an extremely secular, we, we live in a, in a society that is saturated, that, that's probably a good way to say it, is saturated with a secular Christmas tradition that has religious trappings thrown in. I mean, just walk through town. Speak to your friends and your neighbors who probably likely will go to church because of Christmas. Or, or maybe they go every week. But when it comes to Christmas, they, they, they seem to, we seem to set aside it. It, it seems to be this issue that, that we, we set aside everything and we get so wrapped up in the moment and the parties and the traditions and the, and the family gatherings and the need to buy these, these gifts and just giving and going into debt and dealing with all the stresses and pressures of this season. You hear it from people every year. It's my hope. It's, it, it's, it's my hope for, for my life. It's my hope for you as members of this church. If you're visiting with us, it's my hope for you as someone who hears this message today. That this is not going to be another, just another Christmas season or another time to, to think about all that goes on in this season. And to be caught up in the pressures and the, and the trappings and, the, and, and to be enamored with the shimmer of the, the, the tinsel and the lights. I, I don't want you to hear me. If you know me, you know that I'm not against giving gifts. I enjoy giving gifts. I really enjoy getting gifts. Most of you probably enjoy getting gifts. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with family gatherings and, and going to Christmas parties. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's, there's nothing wrong with celebrating this time of year and enjoying that in life. But what tends to happen is, is that we get all gooey and warm inside, and we, we say things like, oh, this, year, this time of season, this time of year, this season, it's all about giving. It's all about family. I, I, we, we hear it everywhere, we're everywhere we turn. And that's a lie. It's missing the point. I'm sure those things are great, they're important. But that's not why the first Christians began to celebrate Christmas or Advent. They, they began celebrating because they recognized that this was an, a major event in history. This was a major move of God. They recognized that it was significant, that it was worth celebrating, it was worth remembering, that God didn't stay distant, but God came to be with us. You see, that's what should move us. That's what should fill us with joy and hope and, and satisfaction. That's what should give us a reason to, to be enamored with the season. God, creator God, the uncaused cause stepped out of heaven. He put on flesh. He dwelt among us. And so even today, as, as we enter into this Advent season, 
my hope is, is that you don't hear me ranting against in some legalistic fashion, doing the things that we typically do in Christmas. Put up your Christmas trees, decorate your houses, put up your lights, go shopping and get your family gifts. But don't forget, those are just, those are temporary. They won't satisfy. They won't bring hope. They won't give joy. But even as we read a, a very familiar passage about a very familiar story, my prayer is, is that your jaw, when, when you leave here today, that you're going to have to pick up your jaw off the floor because you are moved again, not by the season of Christmas and what this world has to offer in it, but the very fact that your God came to you. Let's, let's read Matthew chapter 1. Begin in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Just to emphasize this, before they came together means before they hooked up. I mean, it means before they got together. In, in, in some fashion in, in that culture, it was before they began practicing their marital rights with one another. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I know it's a familiar passage. We, we hear it every year. I mean, we come to this time of year, and, and what other passages are there to preach from? I mean, when, you, when you're going to preach Christmas passages, there's really only just a few select passages that you can preach from. So you're bound to hear this somewhere this season. It might as well be here. But the problem with the familiarity of the passage is that we can, we can read it. We can just rush through it and not even hear it. I mean, it's so familiar to us that we can just brush past it not even be moved by it. But I think, I think if we'll stop and just consider this passage for just a minute, I think there's four truths here that, that are jaw-dropping truths. I mean, they should shock us. We should be blown away that these things occurred. It starts off kind of like a normal, everyday story. Joseph, a young man, engaged to be married to a young Mary. No big deal, right? Well, not to us. I mean, until he finds out that his girl is pregnant and he knows he didn't do it. How would that make you feel? I mean, how, 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 how would we react in that moment? Are, are we surprised? Should we be surprised that Joseph is ready to send her on to be done? Guys, I mean, would, would you be done? They hadn't even really gotten started yet. You know, in that culture, to be betrothed, to be engaged, was 
really to be married. I mean, essentially, they were married. They just hadn't consummated the engagement yet or consummated the marriage yet. And I know this is different for us because typically in our culture, we, we consummate marriages way before they ever even happen, if they ever happen. We're consummating as soon as we can. That's not the way it worked then. You know, they, they would engage, they would, they would be engaged, and they'd have this time of betrothal, and then the consummation would happen, and, and the marriage would be complete. But that hadn't happened. They hadn't consummated the marriage, and Joseph knows it's not mine. But, you know, I, I care about her. She means something to me. So I'm not going to rake her across the coals. I'm going to try and be discreet about this. The truth is, is that Mary, because of her, because of her pregnancy out of wedlock, because of her pregnancy, I shouldn't say out of wedlock, but her pregnancy by a man other than her betrothed, <clears throat> the truth is the law would require her to be stoned. Joseph wasn't about trying to get revenge. He wasn't about trying to make a fool of her, make a big public statement. Just quietly set it aside and move on. And then something happened. Something I think, I, I think that this is probably the first thing that should just knock us on the floor. An angel shows up and tells Joseph, don't divorce her. He takes a nap and has a dream, and, and we, know that it, we know that this experience was real because when he woke up, Joseph was no longer going to divorce her. Joseph was going to deal with the ridicule. He was going to deal with the public shame. People knew it wasn't his baby. He was going to live the life, and he was going to do what he'd been told. We know it really happened. We know that the experience for him was real because it changed the direction of his life. And it's not what Joseph did that makes it so special. It's the fact that an angel showed up. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had an angel show up and say, don't do that? I haven't. I think that's probably a pretty significant event. And, and the angel says, listen, Joseph, you don't know what's going on. This is going to be a special baby. You see, his birth, Jesus' birth, is foretold by the angels. That's pretty significant. In fact, in all of Scripture, at least in my study and the way I've thought about it and racked my head and searched it on Google, I can think of two other times that this happened in Scripture. It's not, it's not a common event. It's not like it happens all the time. In all of the miraculous stories, in all of Scripture, I only know of two other times that people's births were foretold this way. One prefigured Christ. It's when Abraham was told that he was going to have a son. And one was the forerunner of Christ who was to proclaim the coming of Christ, John the Baptist. When his parents were told they were going to have a baby. I, I, I think that's a big deal. I think that this is a significant event that, that an angel shows up. And it wasn't just Joseph that got a pronouncement from an angel. Mary, before she's made pregnant, or, or Mary, when she's made pregnant, God sends Gabriel, and Gabriel shows up, and he says, Mary, blessed among women, you're going to carry the, 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 the child of the God of heaven. You are going to be God's mother. And then, I don't want to, you know, I don't, spoiler alert, I don't, I don't want to give it away. 
in case you don't know the rest of the story, but, but the reality is, is that when it happens, the night it happens, it's not just one angel showing up. It's a multitude that fill the sky. I'm sure it looked like daylight because the glory of, of, of these angels, the glory shone. And they sang praises to God because God came here. That should move us. That's pretty shocking. Well, we don't have to go very far, and I, I think we see another, another truth that I think should just blow us away. It's in verse 22 where he says that this is the fulfillment of what God said through the prophet. This is the fulfillment of at least 700 years. We know it's longer because we can, we can look in the Old Testament, but at least in this passage, from this passage, we can see that this is the fulfillment of 700 years of work. God prophesied through the prophet Isaiah 700 years earlier that a virgin would give birth. You mean to tell me that this meant enough to God that he would take this kind of trouble and this kind of effort to spend 700 years making this happen? <clears throat> that, that, this, that this is so important that God would be this patient, that he would assemble just the right players, that he would put them in the right place at just the right time so that his plan could be fulfilled. 700 years worth of work. We typically have trouble committing for a, a month when something's new and, and the job is fresh. We're excited. And then it becomes every day humdrum, normal. The truth is, when you study Scripture, you see that, that God has been doing this work since before the foundations of the world. Jesus knew He was coming before the words, let there be light, were ever said. And Jesus had committed to be here, to see this work through before the foundations were ever laid. It should, it should move us. It should, it should inspire us. It should bring us to a place of awe and admiration that our God is this committed to this work. It should knock us over. That's just how faithful He is. That's how much this means to Him. I mean, think about it. What, what things do you finish? What things do you make sure get done? Those things that matter most, right? I think this matters. It matters to him. He sent angels to tell him of its occurrence. He made sure even after 700 years and longer that it was going to happen, that it was going to come to pass. And I don't know, you know, I mean, I think those things are big. I think that's pretty impressive. But the words, a virgin will give birth, should, if, if it's not happened yet, we should be on the ground. You don't catch pregnancy from sitting on a toilet seat. I don't know what your parents told you. It doesn't happen. You can't go into a rest stop and come out pregnant. It doesn't happen. Well, I guess you could, but that... 
we're going <laughs> to... We're going to leave that lay. <laughs> I, I can't move on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, really, I, the, the reason this is... I. Because I, I'm trying to say this. A virgin gives birth. Come on, really? Can you imagine Joseph's thought as, as, as Mary comes to him and says, Joseph, I promise I have not cheated on you. I swear. Rubbing her belly. You know how mamas do, the, the pregnant mamas, they, they're protecting their baby and, and they're already got those, those, those motherly guard that, that that whole mother bear thing going on, you know, and nobody's going to get him. How do you think Joseph's thinking? What, what do you think's running through his mind? Come on, I know better than that. I mean, as a high school boy, I knew better than that. I knew as I listened to the, I, there's no way this works. Man, I listened close to how, how reproduction systems worked when I was in biology. That was the best time of my life as a high school boy. I mean, I, I love school for that week. This doesn't happen. But it happened. A virgin gave birth. Does that not move you? Does that not shock you? Does that not just put you in this place of amazement for the power of the God who made this happen? Virgin. I know, I, I, I know all the arguments out there. I've, I've, I've read them, I've studied them. I know that this virgin birth is, is under attack today. I know that there's people that, that read in the Hebrew and they say, oh, you know what? Isaiah didn't really use the word Hebrew, or, or, or didn't really use the word virgin. He used the word in Hebrew that means maiden, young maiden. But if you really go and you search what that means, that, that word is used of young women who were not married. It's never used of a married woman. Young women who were not married. And, and we can't imply our cultural perspectives on it in that we don't expect anybody to be virgins anymore. No offense, young single women. I hope you are. But we live in a culture in which it's not really expected, I think. And that's sad. And I'm not saying that premarital sex didn't happen then. They're people. Let's get real. They were, they were people. And they had the same urges and they went through the same issues and dealt with some of the same problems that we do. Sexual sin has always been a problem. Read some of the law and some of the laws against sexual immorality. It's obvious. They were written, those laws were written against bestiality and things like that because sexual sin was a problem. So don't, don't hear me saying that it's not an issue, but, but the word that he used specifically implies that there's a, a woman who's unmarried, a young woman who's unmarried, who hasn't entertained or been a part of marital relationships. It's clear that his intent is that it's a woman who's never been with a man. And if Isaiah, even, even in, in the thought, if, if Isaiah didn't mean that, or didn't specifically intend to say that, don't miss the fact that Matthew did. 
Matthew meant to say it. Matthew meant for it to be understood as virgin. Matthew understood that this was what it was. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew interprets and teaches us that this was what was always intended to be. A virgin. Never having the opportunity to have a baby naturally had become pregnant and was to give birth. That's pretty amazing. Well, I don't know. If if that doesn't get you, if that doesn't move you, I, I think that the fact that they said he's going to be called Emmanuel, that God with us, that should move us. Jesus is God with us. And when I consider all of the teachings of the Bible, when I consider all that the Bible has to say, this is probably the most amazing point in all of it. There is no other teaching in all of the world, there's no other world religion that comes to this place and says God came to us. In every other religion, in every other perspective, in every other way you look at it, it's us having to get to God, having to find our way to get to a place where we can find ourselves acceptable. In Christianity, it's totally different. God came here. Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, he says it in this way. 1 Timothy 3.16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Speaking of Jesus, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Again, to the, to the, the church in Colossians, for in him, Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. John 1.14, one of my favorite passages, and the word, speaking of Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Just consider this for a moment. Think about it. God came to the world that was under his curse because of our rebellion. God said, don't eat the fruit. They said, we, we got a different plan. we got a different idea. We're going to do what we want. He came to uh, he, he came into that. God came to a world that just a few generations after Adam and Eve, just a few generations set aside, he comes to a world in which he had grieved him so desperately that he had destroyed it with a flood. He came to that world. God came to a people that he had chosen that he knew would reject him. Think about that. God came into a world to suffer undeservedly, to remove our deserved suffering. God came into that. Even if none of these other truths get you, even if none of these other truths move you, God, our creator, as I said in the beginning, God, our creator, the uncaused cause, came here. God, the almighty, whose plans cannot be thwarted, whose plans cannot be undone, who has the power to carry out all he's ever set in motion, who has the power to maintain and to sustain, who has the power to finish what he starts. That God came here. 
God, the sovereign who has ordained all the days of your life, there's not one that he doesn't know about. There's not one circumstance or one second or moment in your life that God hasn't already been there for you in. God, holy, righteous, perfect, in need of nothing, came here. That's big. Is it, does it stir you? Is that worth being excited about? Is, is that worth setting aside four weeks out of the year? Is, is that worth setting a season aside? Absolutely, I think so. Absolutely. I, I, think, it's, I think it's worth, to, worth it to remember that he came to us. I think it's worth to say. I, I think it's, it, it's easy to say or, or, or needed, ne- necessary to say. I, I think it's necessary to understand that this trumps everything else. Uh, The giving of gifts, we could do without it. We could keep going. We could continue living. Don't show up to the company Christmas party. Tomorrow's still going to come. Miss out on family lunch. Don't eat the ham or turkey. Clock's going to keep on ticking. Take away this truth that God came here and our lives fall apart. God creator of all the universe, cared enough to come. If that doesn't stir you, I I feel for you. But I've got a theory. I've got a theory, and and I think that the the problem that we face, and I I think the reason that, that some of us may not be stirred in this moment by the truth that God came to us, or that, that, that we may enjoy it now, that we may be enamored with it in this moment, that it may be exciting us now, but that when we step out of this service and into the real world and life hits us and all of a sudden we're surrounded by all the trappings again, that we'll take our eyes off of that truth and we'll find our satisfaction or strive to find our satisfaction in the things of the world. I think the reason that those things happen is because we forget that God is still with us. You see, God didn't come for a moment. God came to stay. As Matthew closes his book, he, he does it in a very similar fashion, at least in this, that he lets us know that God is with us. He bookends his book with these two thoughts. And he says in Matthew 28, 18 and 20, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And listen, listen, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God didn't come and leave. He came to stay. But I think we miss it. I think sometimes we get all messed up in it. We, we, we take our eyes off of it. We forget about it simply because we forgot he's still with us. And I think we forget he's still with us because there's times we sense that he's so far and distant. We don't, we don't feel him close. And I think the reason we don't feel him close is because we've forgotten what he came to do and what he left for us to do. You see, I think this whole idea of being moved and enamored, I've got a theory, I I think this whole idea of being moved and enamored with the idea that God is here, 
is directly connected to how closely we are connected to his mission. See, what God didn't come to do, God didn't come to ensure that you have a reason to celebrate on December 25th. God did not come so that he, we could have Christmas holidays. He didn't come to give us a reason to take off a week in the, in the winter and, and just do and celebrate what we want to celebrate. He didn't come so that we could get gifts and, and have a reason to get big presents. He didn't come so that we would have a reason to, to cook turkeys and bake hams. He didn't come so that I could have a reason to have a pecan pie. As much as I love pecan pie. God didn't come to fulfill your mission. He didn't come here so that you could have a retirement plan and be retired at the age of 55. God didn't come so that you could have a wife, two kids, and a, and a car in the garage. God didn't come so that you could have the nice job that makes you feel proud to say what you do. He didn't come so that you could fulfill the American dream. God came to fulfill his own mission. His name is Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins. He said to us, remember I'm with you as you go and make disciples. You see, I have a theory. If you want to enjoy the Christmas season, man, have the parties, give the gifts. But all of that's just going to be passing. If you want to enjoy the Christmas season for all it was intended to be, Get on his mission. Because God didn't come and go. He's still here. He's still at work. And he wants his people to know. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, you are good. And gracious. We love you. I know there's people at every stage in this room, a stage in, in, in maturity. I know, God, that there's people in this room that, that are strong, solid believers that are pursuing you. That love this time of year to remember you coming. I pray, God, that you would strengthen them for the walk ahead. God, I know that there's people in this room that, that, that as much as we recognize that they won't satisfy us, that the things of this world will leave us empty again, that we'll be tripped up by them, that we'll be fooled for a moment. God, I, I want you to just, through your spirit, just work in them in this moment. Remind them that you are walking with them, ahead of them, that you have plans for them, a purpose for them. God, I pray that you would, would just move them. That they would be enamored and in awe of your presence in our life. That you would encourage them in your mission and that you'd give them strength and boldness to proclaim your truth. Father, I pray that if there's one here today, any here today, that 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 have heard these things all their life and never never trusted you, or maybe they've never heard them before. They've never trusted you. I pray, God, that in this moment you would rest on them with your spirit, show them the truth that you came to us that we might be forgiven.
that our sins might be removed from us, that we might have the hope of life. Father, I, I pray that this Christmas season wouldn't be a wash of worldly traditions without moments inspired by the beauty of this truth that you came here. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.